I want you to turn to Genesis chapter 43, share a message with you entitled Grace, Grace, as we study the life of Joseph. We're going to look at Grace, Grace, part one, actually, because I first looked at this message. It's going to take me about an hour and, I don't know, an hour and 20 minutes or so. So I thought, you know, it might, might be good to break this up into a couple of sermons. And all of y'all said, amen. Yeah, that's right. I understand you like to get out uh, around noon, like to go eat lunch with everybody else. So we'll try to get you out no later than 1.30 anyhow today. So... All right, this is uh, Genesis 43. I don't know about you, but I'm so enjoying studying God's Word with you. I love how applicable and how wonderful God's Word just seems to come alive to us. We come together and we study it together as a, as a church family. Have you ever been in a sporting event and you went the wrong way? That happened to me one time in high school. I was playing. Didn't get to play much in high school basketball. This is it, you know. When you're all five foot of nothing. You, you don't get off the bench very much. But once, one time I actually got into the game, and a and, uh, guy grabbed the ball, and he threw it to me, and I got disoriented, and I just took off down the, the opposite end, just ran to my little heart. And right before I was to make a layup for the other team, Somebody grabbed my arm. It was the most strange thing. I thought, well, I must be getting fouled. Isn't this wonderful, you know? And it was the referee. And uh, in front of my girlfriend, in front of my parents, in front of the, my, my friends in high school. And by the way, this is in high school, all right? And I'll never forget, he said, son, your goal is that way. And I just thought, oh, my word. So, but I got one worse than that. It was the, uh, it was the Rose Bowl, 1929. The University of California was playing Georgia Tech. And Roy Regals um, picked up a fumble, and he ran 65 yards the wrong way. And right before he got into the end zone, the wrong end zone, somebody tackled him. It was one of his own teammates. <laughs> True story. His teammate tackled him, and Roy Regals looked up, and this is... This is the Rose Bowl, all right? I know it's a long time ago, 1929. place was packed. The place was laughing. It was embarrassing. So they went into halftime, and everybody was, um, was kind of concerned for Roy because they thought, man, we know he's embarrassed, and we know this was really hard on him. But when they went into halftime, uh, Coach Nibs, Coach Nibs Price, everybody thought, well, what in the world is he going to do with Roy? Well, some of the players went and they sat on the benches and others, they sat on the floor, but not Roy. He sat in a corner. True story. Put his head in his hands, put a towel over his shoulders, and he just sobbed. He just cried, uncontrollably crying. The ref came in and said, uh, gentlemen, uh, halftime's over. Y'all need to get on back out onto the field. And everybody got up and left. You, you guessed it, except Roy. He just sat there. And the coach said, team, I want to tell you something. He said, everybody that started the first half is starting the second half. And everybody knew what that meant. That meant that he wasn't punishing Roy. He was asking Roy to get back out on the field. And so everybody left, and Roy was just still standing there. He was just dumbfounded. And he says, no, coach. He says, I appreciate it. He says, but I can't. He said, in fact, I'm not even leaving here. <laughs> he said, I, I can't. I, I've embarrassed you. I've embarrassed myself. I've embarrassed the University of, of California. I've, I, I'm just... I just can't. I can't go out there. And the coach put his hand on his shoulder 
I'm just a little emotional when I think about what he said. He said, son, the game's only half over. The game's only half over. Get out there. Get out there. Now, true story, Roy Regals went out onto the playing field. They lost the game. California lost the game by two points. But the Georgia Tech player said, we never saw a man play football like he did. He was like he was possessed. I mean, he was hitting everybody. He was destroying everybody. He was so powerful. Is there any doubt what grace can do to a man's life? When God just gives you what you don't deserve, but he gives instead of justice, instead of wrath, instead of punishment, God gives a second chance. How about this? God gives a hundredth chance. That's the kind of God we serve. That's the kind of God that Joseph served. And you're going to see a portrait of grace today in our text as we read Genesis chapter 43. You're going to see grace operative. You're going to see it in action. And I just got to ask you, church, please prepare yourself. Some of you are standing in great need of the grace of God, the mercy of God. And I want you just to experience it today. I want you to, I want you to revel in it. I want you to lap it up. I want you just to enjoy the grace of God. It's going to unfold before you like a beautiful rainbow. This story drips with the pure ointment of grace. It's saturated with grace. And, and I pray that it leaps off the page in Joseph and God the Holy Spirit applies it directly to your life. And maybe God would tell you today, hey, get back in there. The game's only half over. You got so much more to do. I've got so much for you to experience. Take off your shame your cloak of shame, and get back, it, get back in the game. So let's pick it up, Genesis 43. So the men took that present, and they took Benjamin, the men being the brothers. They've gone to Canaan. They've gotten Benjamin. They've got all the spices and all the ointments and all those pistachio nuts and all those good things we talked about last week. And they took double money in their hand on their way back to Egypt. And they arose and they went down to Egypt, and they stood before Joseph. In verse 16, when Joseph saw Benjamin with them. Now, let me give you just a little bit of context. Joseph had never seen Benjamin. Uh, Benjamin was born in that 20-year span when Joseph was sold into slavery by his very brothers. And those brothers just sold him for a few pieces of silver, and they took him off to Egypt. And you know the story how Joseph went from the really the pit, the dungeon, all the way to the prime minister of Egypt. He is second in command. His brothers have no idea this has happened to him. But Joseph now sees Benjamin, and he said to the steward of his house, take these men to my home and slaughter an animal <laughs> and make ready, for these men will dine with me at noon. Do you hear grace in that? Not let's slaughter them, for what they did to me 20 years ago, how they betrayed me and how they uh, threw me into a pit, how they sold me into slavery. No, let's not execute revenge, but let's give them grace and mercy instead. And then the man, the steward, did as Joseph ordered. And the man brought the men into Joseph's house. Now the men were afraid. Why were they afraid? The ten brothers were afraid because they were brought into Joseph's house. This is the prime minister of Egypt. And they're thinking, well, it's because of the money. Remember, the first time they came, they brought their money, and they tried to purchase grain, 
and they got their grain and they, and they went back to Canaan and then they noticed that, well, their money was still in their sacks and it looked like they had stolen the grain. And so now they've come back to Egypt and they're feeling like, wow, I, 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 we're going to be accused of being thieves. This is just not going to go good for us. It's because of the money. It's returned in our sacks the first time that we're brought in so that he may make a case against us and seize us. Back up just a little bit and finish reading the text. Verse 18. So that he may make a case against us and seize us to take us as slaves with our donkeys. But when they drew near to the steward of Joseph's house, they talked with him at the door of the house. And here's the brothers. And they said, now, sir, <laughs> you need to understand something. We indeed came down the first time to buy food, but it happened when we came to the encampment that we opened our sacks and there each man's money was in the mouth of his sack. Our money in full weight. Now watch this church. So here's what we've done. We are bringing back that money and we've brought extra money to purchase new grain, okay? And we have brought down other money in our hands to buy food. We do not know who put our money in our sacks. Now verse 23, here it is. Now, the steward of the house said this to Joseph's brothers, Shalom, peace be to you. Do not be afraid. You know, somebody went through the Bible and counted how many times in Scripture it says, do not be afraid. It's 365 times, by the way, one for every day. Do not be afraid. Your God and the God of your father has given you treasure in your sacks. I had your money all along. I'm the one that had your money. We know you didn't steal it. I'm the one that put the money back in your sack. And you know why he did that? Because Joseph told him to do that. Then he brought Simeon out to them. So the man brought the men into Joseph's house and gave them water, washed their feet, gave their donkeys feed, gave them all of these things and this story is just absolutely amazing. So today, what I want us to do is I just want to walk through this text with you for a few minutes and just experience it with you as God teaches us again what it means to experience his grace, to experience his mercy, to experience forgiveness and joy and all those things that we so want and we so desire, but we feel that we're so unworthy uh, to receive. Now, by the way, the brothers, we, we do know that they are very guilty. When, when you read the, the background, the story from 37 to this point in 43, we, we see the story again that how those brothers, they were jealous of Joseph. Joseph's just a teenager, and he's wearing his coat of multicolors, and it's beautiful, and he is his father's favorite. And the brothers hate him for it. He tells them this dream that there's coming a day that mom and dad and all my brothers, in fact, the whole world's going to bow down to me. And, and Joseph told them that when he was 17, and it didn't go over very good with the brothers. So they take him, you know the story. They put him in the, in the hole in the ground. The Midianite traders come. They purchase him. They take him to Egypt. They sell him to Potiphar. And Potiphar puts him in charge of his house until his wife falsely accuses him. And then he's thrown into prison for a number of years. And then finally, he comes out of prison. He's placed at the right hand of Pharaoh. And now he is over all the grain because he told the Pharaoh what to do to prepare to be ready for the famine. And it has come. And now here come the brothers. They still have this shame. They still have this guilt. They're, 
they still feel very, very guilty for what they did to their brother 20 years ago. They think their brother is dead. They think that that is, uh, that he is done, that he is, he's gone, but his memory haunts them. Anybody like that here today? You, you did something wrong, and instead of confessing it to God or confessing it to your family and, and getting over this thing and getting it right with others, you just keep it like a secret and you, and you just keep it cherished close to you and, and, and there's coming, it's just kind of boiling. The water's getting hotter and hotter and it's going to be like a volcano. It's going to erupt eventually. And so here it comes in this story. You know, somebody made the statement, if it sounds too good to be true, it probably is. Y'all, you ever heard that? That's such a pessimistic statement, by the way. Now, I know a lot of times that's true. If it sounds too good to be true, it probably is, but not with God. <laughs> if it sounds too good to be true, it is true. You're going to see God's amazing, magnificent, incomparable nature, His grace lavished upon these men through the life of Joseph. Let me just pray for you right quick as I get into this message. I want, I want to pray for you. Would you bow your heads with me? God, I pray today in Jesus' name that you would help each man, woman, child, boy, girl, student, teenager, every person here today, help them to experience, God, your grace, your mercy, your forgiveness. Lord, we are guilty. We do deserve sin. We do deserve punishment for our sin. We do deserve wrath. But God, today I am praying people would receive the grace and the forgiveness of God. And then, Lord, I pray that those of us who receive your grace, we would be people of grace. We would give people a chance and we would give people mercy and we would grant to others what we so desperately want you to grant to us. And this is our prayer in Jesus' name. Amen. So number one is serendipity uh, personified. I, I like that word serendipity. You've seen it before. It simply means an unexpected, an unanticipated blessing. And that's what we find in our text. In verse 15, they've traveled their 250 miles from Canaan to Egypt. Uh, it, was a, it was a difficult journey for the brothers. They, they have no idea. They have no idea what awaits them in Egypt. All they know is that they've got Benjamin, their youngest brother, and they've got to take him down to Egypt because that man, that harsh leader, that man, they don't know it, but as Joseph has said, you're not going to see Simeon, this brother, until I put my eyes upon that other brother named Benjamin. So they make their way. And then verse 16, it just begins to, it just begins to surface. When Joseph saw Benjamin, he said to the steward, he said, take these men to my home, slaughter an animal, and let's get ready because we're going we're gonna to have a big party right now and, and we're going to have a big feast. And those brothers are just like, they're like, what? What are you talking about, a party and a feast? I like what Chuck Swindoll says at this point. He says, I know what they ate at that party. When I first read that, I thought, well, how in the world would he know what they ate at that party, and this is what he said, and I quote, he said, they had fresh garden salad, a thick T-bone steak. They had fried okra, overstuffed baked potatoes, cornbread, black-eyed peas, and big glasses of iced tea. If Egypt was anything like Texas, amen. That's, that's good. Well, verse 18 is, is very interesting. These men are afraid. 
And they come, look at verse 18, it says they, they're fearful. They're afraid that they're going to be accused of theft, that he might make a case against us. If you look in verse 18, that's an interesting word. It says that he may make a case. That word literally means to roll on top of another. They're, they're fearful. They, they feel like the anvil, I mean, the hammer of justice is about to fall on the anvil of their lives and they're going to be crushed. They're, they're just anticipating judgment falling on them. And they're like, oh no, we're, we're going to be accused of theft. Number two, they, he's going to seize us. Physically, he's going to lay hands on us. And then thirdly, they feared that this leader would, you ready for this? Make us slaves. The very thing they did to their brother. Isn't that interesting? They feared that that, lar that man large and in charge, that person who's in control, they have no idea that it's their brother. They fear, see, see they're still guilty. They, they still, they're haunted by this memory. They, they have not made restitution. They have not made peace with their God. They have not made peace with their past. They have not told Jacob, their father, what really went down that day in the ravine. They have, they've kept all of this hidden. And now they are so fearful that the very thing that they did to their brother is going to be perpetuated unto them. It's human nature. It's just, it hasn't changed. We're the same way. The thing that we're very guilty of, I don't know, parents, have y'all ever noticed this? The very weakness that you have when your daughter or where your son, when they exhibit that weakness, you are ruthless. You ever notice that? Instead of being gracious and forgiven, you see them doing the same thing that you did, mistakes, and you just come out against them. And that's not good. And that's not God's best for us. And so these brothers, they are just like, oh, no, the same thing that happened that we did to Joseph is about to happen to us. I like talking to people like this. I, I talked to a guy one time, and I invited him to our church, and I said, um, he, I remember him, he long hair, about down to his, past his shoulders. He owned a very successful company in, this, in the city where I was serving as a pastor. And, and he was doing a bid for us on our church. And I saw him out in the parking lot. And I, and he, and I went up to him. I think his name was Paul. It was Paul. And I said, Paul, I said, um, I mean, he's all tatted up and got the long hair. And he's, he's tough. I mean, he's just kind of rough around the edges. All right, y'all with me on this? And I said, man, I want you to come to my church. I, you know where we are. Here we are. And why don't you come and, and worship with us sometime? And I'll never forget what he told me. Here's what he said. <laughs> he said, oh, pastor, he said, he said, you don't understand. If I were to come and visit your church on a Sunday morning, the roof would cave in. That's what he told me. He said, I'm literally, the roof would cave in because of the guilt and the sin in my life. And the Lord gave me a word for him. And I said, well, let me tell you something, Paul. That's not true. Because if God can forgive and save a murderer named Saul and change him to a man named Paul, then I bet he can do the same thing for you. You see, that's God's grace. That's God's forgiveness. That's God's empowering his sovereignty, working in our lives, giving us what we do not deserve. I, I think about this song, and it's been on my mind all week, and I want to give you some of the lyrics to it. It's talking about coming to the table of grace. Hear the good news. You've been invited no matter what others may say. Your darkest sins will be forgiven. You will always have a place at the table of grace. At the table of grace, the cup's never empty, the plate's always full, and it's never too late 
to come and be filled with love never-ending. You're always welcome at the table of grace. And some of you want to give a remonstrance. You want to debate me. You want to argue with me. You want to say, but no, you don't understand. I cannot be forgiven. I've thought these thoughts. These hands have done these deeds. I, I, there's no way that God, listen, now you're, you're getting into theology. You're making a statement about God. You're telling God something that he cannot do. You're telling God that you have finally met his match. You, God, you just cannot save me. You cannot forgive me for what I have done. Friend, you're, you're wrong. You're mistaken. You come to God just as you are. Ooh, listen to this. And you come thinking you may get some scraps and, you know, you may just get a few leftovers and spread out before you is this piping hot feast, this cornucopia, this, this plentiful, bountiful feast that God has prepared for you because you come and you just come as you are. Here it is. So come, you weak and heavy-hearted. Don't try to hide your earthly scars. For in his eyes, we all are equal. Yes, we are. Don't be afraid. Come as you are at the table of grace. The cup's never empty. The plate's always full. And it's never too late. You know this song? Come and be filled with love never ending. You're always welcome. At the table of grace. You hear it? The table of grace. You're welcome. So they're surprised. In fact, they're, they're startled. They're shocked. Serendipity. This is an unexpected blessing. The next thing I want you to notice in our story in verses 19 through 24 is this steward's response, his stellar response. I, I love this steward. I do not know his name. I have no idea who this guy is. He is an employee of Joseph, okay? He's, his name's never mentioned as far as I know. I think it's the same, it is, it's the same steward, if you will, in, verses, uh, in verse 25 of chapter 42. It says, then Joseph gave a command to fill their sacks with grain, to restore every man's money to his sack, and to give them provisions for their journey, and thus he did for them. It's the same guy. Remember, they came, and they gave money to purchase their food. And yet when they made their way back toward Canaan, they noticed that they had their food and they had their money. And then they look and somebody tucked a little snack. In. Somebody put a little fruit juice, a little box in there, put a little some apples in there. They put some, they put some goodies in there, some candy in there. Come on now, what is this? Those brothers are freaking out. They're going, what is this? Somebody, somebody's playing a joke on us, man. Somebody, something's going down here. We're going to be accused of theft. Oh, my word. And it was Joseph all along. He's putting their money back in their sack. He's giving them grain for their families. And he put a snack in there. Come on. And the steward tells the guilty brothers, he goes, he goes, I did all that. <laughs> I'm responsible for that. You're not, no, no, no. We know you're not thieves. I, I did this. In verse 23, just look at it with me for a moment. It's just, it's just too powerful for us not just to stay a moment. Look at it. But the steward said to them, peace be unto you. He uses the Hebrew word, the, the, the word there is shalom. Do not be afraid. Can I, can I give you my translation of that? You guys are a wreck. Y'all need to chill out. I think that's what he's really saying. Y'all just need to chill out. Y'all are just a wreck. Y'all need to calm down. 
just peace, peace to you. Listen, your God and the God of your father has given you treasure in your sacks. I had your money. <laughs> I had it all along. And by the way, here's your brother, Simeon. Now, now, let me ask us a question today. How in the world did this steward know so much about God and shalom? How in the world did this Egyptian steward become a theologian and begin to lecture and teach the Hebrews, the chosen people of God, how in the world, where in the world did this steward learn all of this theology? Somebody help me. It was Joseph. That's right. See, he worked for Joseph. And most of the time, the people that serve you or work for you will take on your temperament and your strengths and weaknesses. You ever notice that? If you're hard-hearted and you're mean-spirited and you're all your employees and the people in your house and, and the people in your influence, if they're all hard-hearted and mean-spirited and pride and arrogant and just difficult to be around, then look in the mirror. They're taking on your characteristics. But just the opposite is true. The antithesis of that is true. If you're a person of grace, you talk a lot about God and your work. Some of y'all go, whoa, wait a minute, Pastor. Wait a minute, Preacher. Wait a minute now. I do not mix religion and business. Joseph did. <laughs> Joseph did. He mixed it all up. He, he talked about God all the time. How in the world does this Egyptian steward know to talk about God? Where did he learn about God? Shalom, peace, it's okay. Your God is in control. He's going to take care of all of this. Joseph's been witnessing to him. And Joseph's life is spilled over into him. See, Joseph... The most important thing I want to say, listen to this. Joseph has experienced the grace of God. He's become a person of grace to those around him and even to his enemies. His enemies, unfortunately, in this case, were his brothers. And he's forgiven them. He's restoring them. He's given them snacks. Come on. <laughs> He's not executing them and slaughtering them because of what they did to him. No, he sees it all as a part of God's sovereign design. So here, here's, here's what I'd like for you to do. I, I want to ask you to do something. I just want to stop the sermon. And I just want to come to you humbly and ask you something. Would you become a person of grace and give people what they do not deserve? Give them forgiveness, extend to them peace, extend to them grace and mercy. You know, like you, I'm, I'm so burdened for our country, for our nation. I'm so burdened through the racial division and the conflict the true story of a police officer he was in a he was in a convenience store you may not have heard this one this one's not on tv he's white just as white as me there's an african-american lady she's in the convenience store and they look at each other and they have this moment and that big police officer walked over to her and he looked her in the eye. He reached out and hugged her. 
And he said, you know, you and I, we're not very popular right now, are we? And uh, she said, no, we're not. And they just embraced. They just, they just had a moment there. Embrace of grace. Can, can I ask you all to do something? If you see somebody of a different color than you, would, would you do something this week? In Jesus' name, would you reach out to them? Would you just befriend them? Would you speak to them? And can I ask you something else? If you see a police officer, hug them. Well, they probably aren't going to let you touch them. I know they're going to say, don't, don't touch me. You know. But just with love, reach out to them. Tell them how much you appreciate them. Buy them their lunch. Buy them their breakfast, wherever you see them. And just, and just love on them, honor them. You say, well, that, what, what, what difference is that going to make? It could make all the difference in the world. I think about that little boy taking a little starfish, throwing it in the ocean, and the guy comes around and says, why are you doing that? It's not going to make a difference. He said, it makes a difference to this one. It makes a difference to this one. And so I've been doing this. I go to the gym. I know it don't look like it, but I'm going in there. I'm working out. And I see these African-American men that I've passed time and time again, but not anymore. I'm stopping them right where they are. And I said, I want to talk to you. And they're usually about a foot taller than me, these guys at the gym. They just look down at me and I'm saying, we live in a crazy world. I just want you to know I'm your brother. I'm your friend. Can I help you with anything? And it shocks them. And then I may tell them, I may not tell them that I'm a pastor because I don't want them thinking that's, I'm doing that because I'm a pastor came out of uh, the gym the other day, and I was going to 7-Eleven, and I needed some gas. Man, I was thirsty. I was craving, Sean, a Diet Dr. Pepper. Can I get an amen on that? I, I mean, I was just craving that. I'm getting thirsty now. I think. So I, I drive up to the 7-Eleven, and man, I was making a mess. And um, yeah, the Holy Spirit's prompting me, and he's saying, you need to go inside. I don't like to go inside. I like to get my gas. I like to get my receipt. And I like to leave. Is anybody else like that? I, I get upset when my receipt is not printed at the gas station. That's awful. I mean, I'm, I'm guilty. I just get mad. I'm like, why can't y'all fix this? Fix, give me my receipt. I mean, I just ran 100 miles in a gym, but I don't want to walk 20 yards to go get my receipt. It's just, it's just wrong. Something's wrong with this. So I go in there, and I'm like, and, it, and by the way, it says, see the associate inside. And then I, remind, I remembered just a few minutes before, the Holy Spirit was like, you need to go inside. And I was like, somebody's inside that I need to see. So I walk inside, 7-Eleven. I can tell you right where it is. Gary, it's close to where y'all live. It's that 7-Eleven Palmer 45. Y'all know where it is. And I go in there, this African-American gentleman, he's working. He goes, how you doing, sir? I said, I'm doing good. Thank you. So I go and I get my uh, Dr. Pepper and Diet Dr. Pepper. And I give him, uh, I got a $20 bill and I've got a dollar bill. And the Dr. Pepper is a dollar and seven cents. <laughs> and he's got that little, y'all ever seen those little boxes of change they have right there? And he's got a dime in there. And I said, ooh, can I have that? <laughs> And he says, well, sure. He was so nice. And he said, yes, take this dime. I took the dime. I took my dollar, paid for my drink. I said, sir, I just want to, I just want you to know I'm, 
here, here's my card. I, I would like to invite you to my church. He took that card, and you never know what people are going to do at that point, do you? You don't know. He just looks at it. He says, man, he says, thank you. I really appreciate this. So I get in my car, and I think, well, I've done my good deed. And the Holy Spirit says, you're not through. I don't know if God talks to you all like this. He talks to me. I mean, the devil's not going to tell me. Go back in there and talk to him again. So I go back in there, and now there's people. There's people in there, you know. And I'm like, oh, Lord, you see those people. Those people are going to watch me. And I, I walk in, and I have that 20. I said, this is yours. I want you to take this 20, and don't, don't give this to anybody. This is your money. You take it. And God bless you. And then what he did next, it just, it just floored me, okay? He got excited. And there's people in there. He goes, whoo! He said, wait a minute. He said, you giving me this? I said, I am. And he goes, he put his, he put his hands on the, on the 20 and he put it to his heart. And the guy buying his Budweiser looked at me like I was crazy, you know? He's like, what, what are you doing? I said, it's all good. It, it's you. It's for you. I get back in my car. And I'm driving home, and I, and I remember the words of Jesus when he said, it's more blessed to give than receive. And then my son, hey, Layton, how are you doing? Layton's funny, y'all. When he was young, I would, I would preach sermons, and, and if I would say my kid's name, some of my kids wouldn't like that, but he always liked it. He said, Dad, I like that. When you, when you use my name, I like that. I don't know if he still likes it, but he told me this week, he said, uh, before I say that, David McDonald, can I, just, can I just tell you I appreciate you? Daniel Watson, officer, law officers, Chris Short, I, I, I love you. I appreciate you. I'll get to you in a minute, Layton. Hold on just a second. Just saw an Austin police officer just a few days ago, and we were in a situation and together, and uh, he came into the situation, and APD guy, never seen him before, he, he asked if he could pray for the person we were helping. And he prayed in Jesus' name. I just thought that was the coolest thing. So late, and anyhow, this week he tells me, he says, Dad, I come across this lady. And this is just funny, y'all stay with me. She has, she's on the phone, and there's a watermelon on the floor. And she's trying to pick that watermelon up with one arm. Y'all with me? <laughs> she's trying to get it, and it's just rolling away. And Layton comes around. He says, ma'am, <laughs> he says, can I help you pick up that watermelon? And she said, no. She said, that's okay. I got it. I bet you're a Christian. That's what she said. <laughs> and Layton said, well, he said, ma'am, he says, I am. I am a Christian. Would y'all help me this week? Let's, let's do stuff like that this week. Let's just love people. You say, well, Brother Danny, if you give me a 20, I'll be happy to give it to somebody else. Now. There's lots of people in here. You can ask them for 20s. I, I just think the steward is having a blast. I think he's smiling. I think he's going, you guys just have no idea. Y'all just don't know what's coming to you. I put the money there, man. I put the snacks in there. I, it's all good. Chill out. Have peace. Love one another. He, it's, just, it's just a powerful moment, the stellar moment of the steward. He brings Simeon out. He brings him to Joseph's house. 
He gives water for them to wash their feet. Precious commodity, by the way. And number four, he gave their donkeys some feed. He's giving. He's helping. He's encouraging. And that's, that's what I want to do. I want to, be that, I want to be that guy. And I want our church to be that generosity-based church where we're just loving people, encouraging people, helping one another. So many times when I read the life of Joseph, I see the life of Jesus manifest. He was betrayed. He was betrayed. He was sold for a few pieces of silver. He was sold for 30 pieces of silver. The people that he, that he loved and he trusted, his very people betrayed him, his very people. The Jewish people betrayed and turned on him. And Joseph, instead of executing them and giving them wrath, I mean, he gives them treats for heaven's sakes. He, he says, Stuart, man, take, take care of those guys. They're my brothers. Come on. Take care of those boys. They're my brothers. Don't hurt them. And that's Jesus, guys, that's Jesus. Instead of giving us the, I mean, the hammer of justice falling flat on our heads and we deserve it, Jesus says, Father, don't do that. I'll take it. I'll take your judgment and I'll take your wrath. Just pour it out on me so they can go free. Guys, that's grace. I don't know how y'all look at it, but that is the amazing grace of God. Have you experienced that? Have you said, God, give me your grace. Please don't give me your judgment. I'm so sorry. Would you, would you have mercy on me? God, in a moment, guys, this is what he'll do. He'll say, ah, that's what this is all about. Yes, I'll give you mercy. Yes, I'll give you grace. I've just been waiting on you to say, here I am, Lord. Here I am. It'd be like you going to a, and I'm done with this, this last word. It'd be like you going to a swimming pool. And, and the lifeguard says, do not go over here. <laughs> you can swim all over here. Just do not go over here. And you go, okay. And as soon as the lifeguard turns his head, where do you go? You just, you're, you're there. You jump in there. You're a human being. I'm a human being. When I was five years old, I jumped off the diving board, couldn't swim a lick, went right to the bottom. And a guy jumped in and saved me. I actually remember this. I don't remember many things as a five-year-old, but I remember this man coming along and grabbing me and pulling me to the shore and putting me on the, the deck there. I mean, he saved my life. I was in a place that I should not be. And we jump in. You jump in and you go, uh-oh, and there's something in there. I mean, you get your feet tangled up or you're in this lake. And he says, don't go over there. And you get caught. And the next thing you feel are these strong arms. You feel these strong arms of that lifeguard. He's pulling you up and he's looking you in the eyes and he's saying, come on. And what do you do? You just grab a hold of his arm and you just allow him to pull you up. Come on, guys, listen, this is, this is grace. This is God offering you forgiveness. If you'll just say, God, here I am, forgive me, 
of my sins. Let's pray together. I want to give you an opportunity to respond to it. And I want to give you an opportunity to perpetuate it, okay? Your heads are bowed and your eyes are closed. Some of you this morning really genuinely think that you're too far. That you've done too many things. You've said one too many harsh things. You've even cursed God. You've even turned your back on the very people that love you. You think you're way too far. I want you to know something. If there's breath in your lungs, if you're still alive, there's hope. And if you would, all you have to do is confess to say, God, I'm sorry. Would you forgive me? I I give you my life, what's left of it. God, I just give it over to you. Then you'll experience it. You'll experience this majestic, marvelous, amazing, divine encounter with God. He will will forgive you. And we want to know about it. Man, I want to hear about you. I want to hear your story. And we stand in a moment, and we're going to sing a song. We'll invite you to come to the altar. Come take a person by the hand and just tell us your story. Let us know. Let us encourage you. Let us help you in your relationship with God. Seriously, okay, seriously. If that is you, you come. You come. Listen, the, the roof is not going to cave in, all right? Now, what you'll experience is just the opposite. You'll experience the flood of the mercy of God, the grace of God. Now, with your heads bowed and your eyes closed, can I, can I talk to you who profess your faith in God? Can I ask you this morning, imitate the character of Joseph. Spread the sweet aroma, the perfume of grace to your employees, to your employers, to your colleagues, to your neighbors, to your friends. Be that person who goes out of his way to say, ma'am, sir, we may be of a different color. Hey, you're, you're from a, a different country than me. I just want you to know I'm, I'm just glad to know you. I, is there anything that I can do for you? Go up to an officer this week and just say, hey, ma'am, sir, thank you for what you do. God bless you. I'm praying for you. Let's do that. Let's be the aroma of life to everybody we come in contact with. Can can we do that, church? In fact, let's just pray. Let's pray right now. Let's ask God to help us be that kind of people. Father, I pray in Jesus' name that we would be people of grace. First of all, Lord, for that person that's here today that is encountering you and your forgiveness, I thank you for them. And I pray, Lord, that they would just bask in your grace. God, they would not... They would not dare leave this place, Lord, until they are fully restored to you. And help us, Lord, to be able to encourage them and help them. But, Lord, for the rest of us, I pray that we would have this Joseph-esque quality about us. To give grace, to give kindness, to extend forgiveness. To people, Lord, we, people, Lord, that's different from us. Maybe people, Lord, we don't even like. God, forgive us of that. Forgive us of our judgmental spirit. Help us to like. God, help us to give. Help us to be kind to everybody we meet, especially, especially, God, those that may look a little different than us or talk a little different from us. Lord, may your church, may we shine bright in this dark, dark world. God, this, this world is so dark. 
And Lord, I know, and God, thank you that the light shines the brightest when the room is the darkest. So help us shine. Shine, Jesus. Help us shine for you. And this is my prayer in Jesus' name. Amen. Would you stand to your feet? God bless you as you stand. Some of you want to come to the altar. You need to come. Make things right with God and your fellow man. Let us help you. Let us encourage you. Others of you, take this message to heart and be that person, that person of grace. God bless you as you come.